0: As you're uh, sitting, if you could turn to Numbers chapter 11. I think if you pick up one of the Bibles in the back, which you're always welcome to do, it'll be page 81, Numbers chapter 11. So there are some things that I feel like are becoming increasingly rare to hear in life today. If ever they were normal, they're surely not normal now. What's increasingly rare is a a student walking out of a final exam and hearing her say, you know, that was a fair exam. As a matter of fact, what a helpful educational experience this entire class has been. And I'm better for it. Don't hear that much. It's rare you're going to talk to someone who says, you know what, my job and my workload, and my supervisor, and my employees, and my pay, you know what, they are just right, just right. Couldn't ask for anything more. It's, it's generous, it's much better than I deserve. It's rare you have that conversation. It's rare that you walk out of a high school gym or walk off of a, a Little League field and, and hear, you know what, the umps, the refs, they called a great game today. Every call was spot on. And you know what? The manager, the coach, couldn't have made any better decisions. These, these were all perfect. And you know what? My kid got just the right amount of playing time. It was all just wonderful. It is rare we hear these things. I could go on and on, but it has become pretty commonplace as a society to be unhappy. And thank goodness we have all sort of... Uh, Emojis to express what level of displeasure we have in a very nuanced way, in a very careful way. We can just dial it in just right to express all of our displeasure. We are a, a pretty unhappy culture, and unhappiness often expresses itself in complaining, doesn't it? I find it very easy to complain. What is amazing, even as we open up the pages of Scripture today and we go to a, an ancient piece of Scripture, written uh, centuries ago, millennia ago. Sometimes we think we have like a, a gap between us and Scripture and like we just don't live in that world and it's not in our time and so we have a, a, a struggle relating, not, not today. Because Numbers presents a people, a culture, an entire society that was complaining, that was unhappy with where they were. And you know what, we can, I can kind of just assess myself and and whether I complain or whether I'm unhappy very much. I'll probably be pretty generous in that assessment. I can compare myself to you and say, well, I don't complain as much as they do. But today what I'd love to do is hold up scripture as a true mirror, not one of those distorted ones, but as a true mirror that's going to tell us exactly what we are, exactly where our heart is this morning. And I think God's word is going to be faithful to us in showing us who we really are. So, so we'll be looking at Numbers 11. Well, that presupposes we know a lot about Numbers 1 to 10, and we don't have a lot of time. We talked about some of this last week. We don't have a, a ton of time to unpack it today. If I could just unpack those first 10 chapters in a sentence or two, it'd be something like this. God's people have been delivered out of Egypt and have entered into a covenant relationship with him on Mount Sinai. God's people in covenant relationship with him, and now they're actually traveling to the land that God has promised to them. This promised land is theirs. But to get there, God leads them through the wilderness. So that's been our series, Walking with God in the Wilderness. The first several chapters they get they get organized and, and they kind of arrange the camp, but the camp was never meant to be stationary. It was actually meant to be mobile. The the people of God were moving, and that's the entire book of Numbers, it's the people of God moving. And, and with that somewhat of, as a a small, small background, can we can we look at Numbers chapter eleven and verse one? The people of God are on the move and right out the gate, and the people complained in the hearing of the Lord about their misfortunes, and when the Lord heard it, his anger was kindled, and the fire of the Lord burned among them and consumed some outlying parts of the camp. Then the, the people cried out to Moses, and Moses prayed to the Lord, and the fire died down, so the name of that place was called Taborah, because the fire of the Lord burned among them. I think maybe the most helpful way we can gain the greatest benefit out of this chapter of Numbers 11 is by asking a couple questions. And so the first question that I want us to think about is what contributes to a complaining heart? As we dive into Numbers 11, what contributes to a complaining heart? Later we're going to look at what can change this complaining heart, but what contributes to a complaining heart? A a heart that is expressing dissatisfaction and expressing grief and expressing pain, expressing frustration or, or resentment. What contributes to that? I think we find some answers in the verses we just read. One thing that surely contributes to that is when situations are stressful. When situations get stressful, we are tempted. We're tempted to complain, we're uniquely vulnerable to complain. What I think we do sometimes, which is very unhelpful, is to minimize what people are actually feeling in scriptures and, and present them as if they're like Teflon and nothing ever bothers them. This is a highly stressful situation. I mean, we've got a people moving with tens of thousands, literally hundreds of thousands, of other people. This is not an easy dynamic to manage. And, and sometimes, often, the, the present is tough and the future is uncertain. And we feel stress. There's actually accusatory language in this passage. So in chapter 11 and in verse 1, they complain, but they complain about their, and the wording is their misfortunes. The word literally is evil. The evils that they have been dealt. The evils that they're having to deal with. So there's good fortune, good luck, and then there's misfortune. And that's what they're complaining about. Things have not worked out so well for them they're frustrated that God is not dealing with them in a good way this situation is stressful and they they begin to complain maybe God has done us wrong stress can make us lose sight that God has been good and we will not get through life without situations that are filled with change that cause stress it's just part of it We will not get through life without occasionally feeling like this is not what I signed up for. This is way too much pressure. When situations are stressful, we're we're vulnerable to respond sinfully and and complain. I think there's another factor. Let's keep reading. Look at verse 4. Now the rabble or other translations will say the riffraff that was among them, they, they had a strong craving. Note that word, and the people of Israel also wept again, and they said, oh, we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt that cost nothing, and the cucumbers, the melons, the leeks, the onions, and the garlic. But now, look at us. Our strength is dried up, and there's nothing at all but this manna to look at. We're tempted to complain when Situations are stressful. We're tempted to complain when our cravings get escalated. And I use that word because that's what Scripture uses. Our cravings, our desire, our hunger. In the King James, it says, our lust. When, when, when this rabble leads the whole group to feel this desire, this hunger. You know, our hearts are always wanting stuff. We're a lot like the, the kid at Toys R Us in early December that just wants it all, right? Every aisle, I want it all. And our hearts are like that. I can think of a million things. I go throughout the day thinking of things big and small. It'd be nice to have that. I love that. I kind of need that. Boy, it'd be nice to have the money for that. Boy, that person must be nice because they have that. And our hearts just generate all kinds of desires. But there's moments when they get escalated, and that's what's happening here. I don't. We're not naturally wired to be content. Paul said that, right? So he would say, I have learned in whatever condition I am to be content. I've learned. It's, it's not something I inherited. I had to learn it. When the cravings get escalated, when they get strong, James talks about this in James 1. He draws some connections. He said each person is tempted when he's lured and enticed by his own desire. And then when that desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is fully grown, brings death. James 4, he says, What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that you have passions at war within you, you desire and you don't have, so you go to great lengths. You murder, you covet, you can't obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. You desire things, you can't get them. And so all sorts of sin is born. Chronic complaining is born out of desires that just continue to manufacture themselves. When desire gets escalated, when cravings get escalated, when situations get stressful, but also in the passage we just read, when memory becomes selective, we're tempted to complain. When memory becomes selective, did you, did you read verse 5? They're longing for some days in the past. Oh, we remember the fish we ate in Egypt and it didn't cost anything. I can only think Moses is a man of unusual self-control if he didn't just say stop right there because I can think of about 35 to 40 sarcastic responses to the people of God in that moment. Either it's not recorded and he really thought it anyway. We don't know. But, but did you just read what they said? We had fish that we, we didn't have to pay for in Egypt. Well, you didn't have to pay for it because you were a slave. selective memory it it gets very selective when we when we look back and think boy i can remember Ah, we had we just had the whole buffet we we could get what we could get whatever food we wanted forgetting your slaves forgetting you're working seven days a week forgetting you don't control your destiny forgetting you're owned by another person Ah, our memory gets selective and when strong desires are mixed with nostalgia, incomplete nostalgia, selective memory nostalgia, this is extremely unhelpful. We live in the good old days, you know, the days before the the job changed, the day before the accident, the day before the move, the day bes- before the, the kids got to a certain stage, the day before your spouse changed, the... The days before you got this diagnosis, the day before... I mean, it just goes on and on and on. We live in the, the good old days that, quite frankly, if we remembered them accurately, would, would not be nearly as good as we remember them. You see, our memory doesn't really prove trustworthy here. It's very selective, and we, we're tempted to complain because we're remembering. We're remembering things better than they really were, which often leads us to look at situations as worse than they really are. And often makes us realize not see God as good as he really is. Be careful when you begin to rewind the tape a little bit. And you think back to the good old days. They're remembering something that I don't read anything in Exodus about melons and garlic and just had, had the run of the place, it sounds like. doesn't doesn't sound like that in the beginning of Exodus. When memory becomes selective. And what we're talking about contributes to complaining, and this passage forces us to acknowledge something. When it becomes easier to complain, the whole environment becomes toxic, which leads to more complaining. Chronic complaining becomes contagious, and the whole environment gets toxic. Let's look at it. Let's look at what, what happens in verse ten, chapter one, verse or chapter eleven, verse ten. Moses heard the people weeping throughout their clans. Everyone at the door of his tent. And the anger of the Lord blazed hotly, and Moses was displeased. Nobody's happy here. And Moses said to the Lord. Why have you dealt ill with your servant? And why have I not found favor in your sight? That you laid the burden of all this people on me? Moses talking to God here, did I conceive all this people? Did I give them birth? That you should say to me, Carry them in your bosom as a nurse carries a, a nursing child? To the land that you swore to give to their fathers? God, where am I to get meat to give to all this people? For they weep before me and say, give us meat that we may eat, and, and I'm not able to carry this people alone. The burden's too heavy for me. So if you will treat me like this, then just kill me at once if I found favor in your sight so that I don't have to see my wretchedness. The environment has become so toxic, it even influences Moses. Because this is the deal with complaining. Complaining generally will find an object of the complaint. It'll find someone at fault. Someone's got someone's, someone's to be to blame. So the people look to Moses. Moses looks to God and goes, what, "What's go- just take me out. I don't need this. I don't want this. I'd rather you find another person. Do whatever you want to. Just get me out of the equation. If this is what like being your servant means, I really don't care for anymore. Moses has to listen to people. The text says everyone. And it's just interesting, even the placement. Everyone is at the door of their tent. So if Moses walks by, everybody can hear it. There's another tent, and there's another tent. And you can imagine after 100, he's had quite enough. The environment's become quite toxic. Moses looks at all of it as a cruel joke, an impossible task. What you're giving me to do, it can't be done. What contributes to a complaining heart? Odd stressful situations, no doubt. It's cravings that get escalated, it's memory that's extremely selective, and it's an environment that's toxic. This is this is a mess. And lots of numbers is going to be a mess. Unhappy people. And before we go further, I think it's wise to acknowledge and recognize something, so can we, can we take a brief detour because we come across something in this chapter that actually will come across more in Numbers than you come across uh, several times in Scripture, especially in like Exodus and, and, and Numbers, Deuteronomy. And that is this judgment, this fire, this anger, a plague that God sends in judgment to his people. So we wouldn't do ourselves any good to ignore that. Right in Numbers 11, it comes up multiple times. There is judgment that God is pouring out on his people for their sin. But if you were to read the Bible, when you come to the New Testament, you, you don't read so much of all this like massive scale judgment and plague on God's people. As a matter of fact, the the main place you read about massive judgments and plagues in the New Testament is Revelation at the end. So what's the difference? Why in the Old Testament does this feel very common? It's going to happen multiple times, even in Numbers 11. And why is it so uncommon in the New Testament? Well, I can tell you what the difference is not, okay? It's not that in the New Testament, second part of the Bible, God's Kind of more okay with sin. He's made his peace with it all. And he's just all right. He's not really displeased and angry anymore. It isn't as if Jesus is, Jesus in the New Testament is God 2.0, kind of the nicer version. Seriously, I, I wonder if we think this, if we don't realize that God is God, Old and New Testament. We sang about a good, good father, and he is, and it's the same God, so we can't really separate these things out. So what has happened? Well, God is rightfully always angry with sin, because sin messes up a perfect creation. Sin messes up his image bearers. Sin wrecks havoc. Sin, when it is finished, brings about death. Sin will do devastating things in your life. And God would not be a holy, perfect God, loving God, if he didn't look at sin with anger and displeasure. What's happened in the New Testament? What's happened is that God has directed his wrath toward the sin of his people to Jesus on the cross. That's what's happened. want to know the difference. It's when we read of the New Covenant, the New Testament, we're reading of people who are found in Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ on the cross is bearing the wrath of sin, both past, present, but also future, bearing the wrath of God. He pays for our sin. Remember, even on the the night he was betrayed, he said, if there's any way, Father, let this cup pass from me. What is the cup? In the Old Testament, the cup is the cup of wrath. But the cup doesn't pass from him and he, he drinks it all as he suffers. That's why on the cross he's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? What could it be that in Jesus' life that would make God forsake him? He's bearing the wrath of, a, of our sin. And because of that, because of that, God's anger over sin doesn't burn against his people any longer. The wrath of God has been satisfied. God's people are forgiven and free. So church, we don't live under a curse. We don't fear a plague because God has judged sin in Jesus Christ. I hope that helps because if we don't understand that, our entire outlook on what's going on in the old and new will be affected. That isn't to say that since Jesus died on the cross, there there aren't any consequences for anything any longer. That is not the case. No, we still live in the consequences. And if we choose to complain, as Christians, as those who know God and know his son Jesus Christ and know the Holy Spirit working in us, if we choose to complain, we will feel the consequences of that. God does not want us to complain. And even beyond that, it becomes nearly impossible for chronic complainers to consistently make wise decisions. Did you know that? You will not consistently make wise decisions if all you can do is complain. So we need God's grace. I mean, if he's just kind of revealed our heart to us, put the mirror up, then, then this is the question we need to ask. What can change a complaining heart? There's lots of things that contribute to it, but what, what can change it? Is there any help for change in our lives in this area? What if we are compulsive, chronic complainers I think there is a place for us to look even in this passage and I I think it really starts with us looking at Moses. I find such a difference in in Moses and and what he verbalizes even though he's caught up in this toxic environment. I I think there's a couple things that Moses does that are very different than the rest of the people. If you have verse 2 and verse 11 in front of you, one thing Moses does is he cries out to the Lord. He speaks To the Lord. And and from that, I think we can take a valuable lesson. And that is, what can change a a complaining heart? Well, this can't. When we voice our complaint to the Lord, it's easy to complain to whoever wants to listen, it's easy to rant to whoever wants to listen. But Moses takes his complaint, his frustration, his grief his uneasiness, his resentment, and he directs them to the Lord. It might surprise you. I would say one way your heart can change is by voicing that complaint to the Lord. Maybe, Maybe you expect the Lord to just say, you got some tough times? Why don't you just get over it? Or maybe we kind of have this countenance of our Heavenly Father that says, just take it. And look on the bright side. Keep a stiff upper lip. Maybe we have in our mind, I remember as a, as a kid when I was getting in trouble and getting corrected, that'll be the nice way we put it. Uh, I remember, you know, obviously emotionally being affected and I'm, I'm crying and, and I remember my parents, God bless them, saying, just knock it off, you know, knock it off. Quit crying. Like, that's about the most unhelpful thing and the most unrealistic thing that's going to happen. And here I am, uh, many years later, doing the same exact thing. You know? Just knock it off. Quit crying. Do you imagine God saying, just quit crying. Just be quiet. Get over it. Or do we realize that a lot of Scripture gives room to voice our complaint to the Lord? There's a whole book called Lamentations a voice of complaint to the Lord. My Bible reading has taken me through the book of Job. And so this is what I'm even thinking this week as I'm reading a complaint on both accounts, a complaint in Numbers 11 and a complaint all throughout the book of Job. But Job's complaints are directed to the Lord. I don't think it's wise to bury our bitterness. You know, honestly, Moses is not 100% accurate in his assessment. He's not getting everything right. And God doesn't say he's getting everything right. But there's a cry to the Lord. And so when we feel hurt, when we feel angered, when we feel betrayed, when we feel disappointed, that's fertile ground for prayer. A few years ago, I memorized a verse and it came to mind as even even I was thinking about this. So Psalm 62, 8 says, Trust in him at all times. Pour out your heart before him. I thought about that. Pour out your heart before him. So do you have complaints? Pour out your heart before him. Even Paul would say, you know, he has this thorn in the flesh and he says three times I ask the Lord. He's crying to the Lord. Three times I asked the Lord to remove it. So do we, do we pray that way? Do we voice our, our, our frustration, our disappointment? And please don't get me wrong, by that I don't mean... What I hear the way some people talk and kind of a, a cavalier, like they're just going to tell God off and they're going to let him know and kind of set the record straight. So, so listen, I never think it's okay to be cocky in God's presence. Ever. Ever. Humility will always be the right posture. Always. But even in our humility, we cry out to the Lord and say, why? I don't understand. How long? What's going on? I don't see all the connections. I'm really, really hurting. And when you use that language, you're in language of Scripture, voicing your complaint to the Lord. Moses is crying out to the Lord, and, and I don't think he gets an A-plus for his complaint, but he is directing it to the right source, isn't he? Voicing our complaint to the Lord, and, and God hears that, and God will hear you. I'd say what you need to, along with that, are are friends, maybe one friend, maybe two, maybe ten, that walk with you and hear your voice. And you both pray and say, Lord, we don't, we don't understand. God help us. God hears and God provides. If you keep reading, look at verse 16. I mean, the Lord is going to answer Moses, gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel. I mean, so Moses is complaining, I, I got too much. I mean, I'm burdened with too much. And And he feels the pressure of that. Gather for me 70 men of the elders of Israel whom you know to be elders of the people, officers over them. You bring them into the tent of meeting. Let them take their stand there with you. And I will come down and talk with you. And I'll take some of the spirit that is on you and I'll put it on them. And they shall bear the burden of the people with you so that you may not bear it yourself alone. What's happening there? Moses is getting his prayer answered. Because he's voiced his complaint to the Lord and God is responding in kindness. What can change a complaining heart? What can change? A complaining heart, voicing that complaint to the Lord. What also can change? It's receiving some clarity from the Lord. Do you continue in the scripture, receiving some clarity from the Lord, I find the rest of this chapter is almost as if Like the prescription of glasses isn't the right prescription and if you've ever worn glasses, you put that on and you go, I can't even see things the way they're supposed to be. It's almost as if the rest of the chapter that God is going to systematically take Moses and give him some clarity. We've got to look at some questions to help us get clarity. And these are questions we don't just ask like once in a while, but they're questions we ask regularly. So here's some of the clarity that I think is brought to Moses. Here's here's a question. Who has been good to us? So in the midst of in the midst of complaining, here's a clarifying question. Who has been good to us? God is eager for us to answer that question. Look at verse 18. God's directing Moses. He says, Say to the people, Consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, and you shall eat meat, for you have wept in the hearing of the Lord, saying, Who will give us the meat? And then notice this phrase here. For it was better for us in Egypt. Oh, the Lord will give you meat, and you shall eat. It was better for us in Egypt. We had a better master in Egypt. Pharaoh took much better care for us, care of us, than than you're doing, God. This is the way God is helping to clarify, like, well, wait a minute now. Who's been good to you here? Is it, is our, our circumstances so distorted that we can only see immediately and it doesn't seem like it's working for us? We say, you know what? It was a lot better when I wasn't even trying this whole Christian thing. Is it so distorted that we forget what we've been brought out of? Who's been good to you? Who would you say, Never once did I ever have to walk alone? It's a clarifying question. Another question comes up. And that's who can who can we trust? Who can you trust? Verse 18, let, looking at it again, it's we'll say to the people, consecrate yourselves for tomorrow, for you shall eat meat for You've wept in the hearing of the Lord saying, who will give us to eat, eat because it was better for us in Egypt? Oh, the Lord will give you meat and you'll eat not just one day, two days, five days, 10 days, 20 days, but a whole month until it comes out at your nostrils and becomes loathsome to you because, and these are important words, because you have rejected the Lord who is among you and have wept before him saying, why did he come out of Egypt? You have, did you notice the words? You have rejected the Lord You know what, I can get antsy when I get a little bit hungry. I can get a little bit irritable. And yet what is wholesale of this whole nation is a a complaining. And what God is giving us interpretation of that complaining is, this is what you're doing. In your complaining, in your complaining, Curtis, in your complaining, Ogletown. God's saying, why have you rejected me? Did you not think I could be trusted? It's what our complaining hearts are saying. God, I, uh, this just stinks. And I don't know if this is the way you're going to treat me. I really, I'm really not a big fan right now. Who can we trust? God's not playing games. When we complain, we're actually kind of tipping our hand showing our hearts and this is what's going on Moses takes the initiative in the conversation verse 21 Moses says uh, he's having this ongoing dialogue with the Lord the people among whom I am number 600,000 on foot but God you've said I will give them meat and they may eat for a whole month shall flocks and herds be slaughtered for them is that going to be enough? Shall all the fish of the sea be gathered together for them? Is that going to be enough? And the Lord said to Moses, Is is the Lord's hand shortened? Now you shall see whether my word will come true for you or not. The Lord's hand is a kind of a symbol of his power. And this is the question that he's pushing Moses to ask is, Does God have limits here? This mighty hand of the Lord, is it? Is a kind of weak in this area, where God is good for about forty-five percent of lots of life life troubles. This other fifty-five percent, you need something else. Better not bank on God, because in this particular circumstance, I it's kind of tough. I don't know that He can come through. And Moses has to answer that question. I mean, has God really been good? Can we trust Him? Does He have limits? just interesting as the rest of this chapter plays out. We see what contributes to a complaining heart and what can actually change a complaining heart. As the rest of the chapter plays out, you can read it. God does show grace. He continues speaking to these people. He doesn't write them off. There is a chapter 12 after chapter 11. God continues to care. They hear from the Lord. God fills Prophets with his spirit and they speak his word to the people. God provides for them, they get their food. They get all the food they want. But God does discipline and correct. A plague comes and it's horrible. Then at the end of the chapter, they move on. They go to the next place. They continue the, the travel. And the travel log picks up. So grace and provision. And discipline and moving forward. Sounds an awful lot like my life. God's grace and God's provision, God's kind correction. And we move on. And we live another day. But what if? What if we lived our life seeing the goodness of God? What if we lived our life believing in the power of God? What if instead of being sucked into the vortex of chronic, Complaining. What if we let our light shine before others so that they saw our contentment and they glorified our Father? What if our stress was dealt first? What if we dealt with it through prayer? What if our desires were dealt with through seeing God as providing everything that we need and any of the things we want? What if our memory was regularly corrected with an accurate picture of who God is and the way he acts? And what if our church? What if Ogletown looked different in a culture of chronic complainers? For all that to happen, we're gonna have to have a massive work of God's grace in our hearts. To do that, can we can we pray to him? Maybe this is a time to voice your complaint to the Lord. Maybe this is a time to repent before the Lord. Maybe this is a time to celebrate the wonderful cross. But I I want to ask you just to, let's, let's have a moment of quiet before the Lord and have him search us. Can I ask you to stand for our, for our closing? I thought it'd be helpful to circle back to that prayer that we sung earlier, reminding ourselves that God is a good, good Father. It really is a prayer. We're, saying, we're singing it to Him in the presence of each other, reminding all of our hearts of who He is and what He's like.